Mysteries that await you when crossing the bridge between this world and the next. Bleeders Digest, issue number 33. The Woman on the Bridge. This story is called The Woman on the Bridge. Written by Spider One. Hey, hold up there, young fella, before you go ahead and do what you're about to do. I want to tell you a story. Something you might find hard to believe. You might brand me as crazy, which maybe I am. I suppose it doesn't really matter. I don't know, you just seem like the kind of person that might want to listen. Maybe even believe me. First, I feel like I need to put things into context. The story I want to tell you happened a long time ago, when I was a kid, a teenager. I'm like 50-something 50, 50 now, I think. I'm not sure exactly, but see... This was the 1980s. Madonna was king, boy George was queen, and greed was good. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but trust me, things were very different back then. Especially for teenagers. No real computers, no cell phones. We were free. When we left our house out of sight from our parents, we were gone. On our own and no expectations to check in. Whatever happened, happened, and it wasn't documented for all to see on some bullshit social thing or... Whatever the fuck you call it. There wasn't a photo or a video of every move you made. The good, the bad, and the ugly existed to be celebrated or denied, remembered or forgotten. Our time was a mystery and it was great. Until it wasn't. In fact, looking back, it's a miracle any of us survived. I, I had a small group of friends. We weren't the most popular kids, but we had each other. Our time, honestly, was spent doing mostly nothing. I remember a lot of wasted hours watching horror movies and talking about things we knew nothing about and making big plans that had zero chance of materializing. You see, we lived in a small town in northern Massachusetts, the kind of place that most never leave, which never made sense to me because there was nothing here and nothing ever changed. Fuck, I don't know. Maybe there's something appealing about nothing. I mean, full disclosure, I am still here, so who am I to talk? But then again, I stuck around for very different reasons than complacency. It's kind of the point of this whole story, I guess. Anyway, this town it seemed gray and cold to me. Except for a couple of summer months that were unbearably hot and humid. A river ran through the center of town, which would 
bring out masses of relentless mosquitoes. Your skin would swell and itch with hundreds of bites if you hung out by the river's edge for more than a few minutes. You know, it was what it was. So yeah, over this river ran a train bridge. This thing must have been 200 years old and didn't look like it had been updated much since then. A real monster from the Industrial Revolution. Black metal and rivets oxidized green and orange. It loomed ominous over the dirty water. And because of the absence of lighting all but disappeared at nightfall. When the occasional cargo train would pass over, it would creak and moan as if pleading for the burden of the train's weight to pass. The blast of the train horn would drown out the cries, as if telling the bridge to mind its place. This train bridge was a source of fascination for myself and my friends all those years ago. Not because we were interested in trains or engineering. Nah, we were interested in something else. You see, there was a story. The kind of story you're... Your older brother would tell you to scare the shit out of you. Maybe true, maybe not, but one of those stories that floats around a small town until everyone knows it. Apparently, in 1888, a passenger train was making its way across the bridge when a broken wheel forced one of the cars off the track. It fell from the bridge, hitting a water tower before landing in the icy water below. Then the damaged water tower proceeded to fall and crush the passenger car and everyone in it. Ten people died and over twenty were severely injured. Now that's a pretty horrific story, but it's not the story that had us fascinated with that bridge. See, it's what happened after that that had us drawn into this metal beast. One of the victims on that train was a young man, Samuel Bates. He's a high school student who had been traveling back from the city of Boston where he was visiting a college orientation. His mother June had, against her better judgment, allowed him to travel alone while she stayed back to work as a housekeeper. She was a widow and would need every penny to send her only son to college. He died that day, and she would never forgive herself for not being by his side on that train. One month after the crash and her son's death, she found herself standing, grief-stricken, on the train bridge looking down at the river below. She sobbed uncontrollably, only to stop long enough to utter one single word. Samuel... And with that, at the stroke of midnight, she jumped to her death. And her body was never found. All those years later, the story of the woman on the bridge was still being told. Though through the decades, the narrative changed and grew into reaching our impressionable uh, 1980s teenage ears. We were told the moans from the bridge were indeed the moans of June's sorrow. And if you dared cross that bridge at midnight, you would hear her cries and you would meet her as a phantom. A terrifying affair only made worse if you were a teenage boy. You see, legend has it that the ghost of the grief-stricken mother would steal the souls from any young man, tear his body to pieces, and throw it into the river. Perhaps revenge for anguish, or perhaps to fill the void left by her departed son. Either way, you can understand the allure of such a tale, especially for teenage boys with disposition towards horror movies. Remember, this was the 1980s, the age of Freddie, Jason, and Michael Myers, and me and my band of misfit friends were aficionados on the subject, though the truth was our propensity for terror didn't stray far from the VHS player, and the thought of crossing that bridge froze us in our tracks. We knew of others that had told us they had crossed and survived. This one guy we knew, uh, Nathan Murphy, told us he had made it. He said he did see the ghost witch, but... He was too strong and fought her off. He even showed us some scrapes and cuts on his arm to prove he'd battled the demon. 
though Nathan Murphy was also the same kid that told us he had sex with Heather Locklear when he went on vacation with his parents to Los Angeles last summer. So yeah, how could we really believe any of it unless we tried crossing the bridge ourselves? So Pete, Joel, Steve, and myself decided that there was no better time than the present. We'd all be graduating in a few months and moving on with our lives in the real world. There was no guarantee we would ever see each other again. I remember the conversation went something like this. I said, We should do it. Do what? Pete asked. Cross that bridge at midnight and see if the stories are true. You know, the the lady witch ghost thing. And you know that shit ain't true. Steve interjected. Then what's the big deal? It could be true. I'm down. Pete said without hesitation. Okay then, Friday at midnight. Meet at the bridge. Just do it. This could be the last fun thing we ever do together. Besides, what's the worst that could happen? Don't say that. That's what everyone says right before something really bad happens. Joel trembled. We all laughed. I mean, what wasn't funny about an evil spirit that stole the souls of teenage boys and tossed their bodies into the river? So we met up that night at 11.45 at the foot of the old train bridge. It was a warm spring evening. Breezy. Nice. Let's fucking do this. Pete barked. I don't know. Maybe this is a bad idea. As expected, Joel was hesitant. I thought we all agreed. And where's Steve? I asked. He's not coming, said his mom grounded him. He's just scared. Whatever. We gotta hurry up, or it's gonna be past midnight. Again, I- I'm sorry, I-, I can't do it. Joel said, close to tears. Pussy. Look, just meet us at the other end of the bridge. It shouldn't take more than ten minutes for us to cross. Joel nodded and took off. That kid's pathetic. Pete hissed. I ignored his criticism of our friend and focused on the task at hand. Okay. Let's do this, I said, sort of confidently. So me and Pete made our way onto the bridge. First ten feet or so was easy and nothing to be scared of, but then it changed. As we progressed, we quickly realized there was nothing beneath the old wooden slats of the railroad track. Looking down, we could only see the river. The water was a dark black with small hints of moonlight bouncing off the waves below. The open spaces between the wood was just wide enough that if we took one false step, we would slip through and down into the water below. Every small breeze seemed like it was trying to push us off. Looking down gave you vertigo, but you had no choice because keeping your eyes up would surely guarantee a fall. We didn't say it, but we were both thinking that Joel was right. This was a bad idea. More of Pleader's Digest, issue number 33. The Woman on the Bridge, after this. We didn't say it, but we were both thinking that Joel was right. This was a bad idea. The wood slats creaked with every step, and as we got further out onto the bridge, we realized that they were softening and bending. We were both too scared to speak, and suddenly a thought crossed my mind. Do you have any idea what the train schedule is? What? Pete asked. It was hard to hear up here. Do you know what time the train comes? I said louder. We both stopped because it was clear that if a train did pass over the bridge, we had nowhere to go. It was a single track and no room on either side. Our only option would be getting smashed by the train or jumping into the river. Both meant certain death. Yeah, this was a bad idea. At this point, we were more than halfway across the bridge, so we had to keep going. Turning back would just make our journey longer. 
Pete was about five feet in front of me. He turned and yelled. I can see the end of the bridge. No crazy ghost bitch either. Felt a small sense of relief and suddenly a horrible crack filled the air and I saw Pete drop. One of the wooden slats had given away and my friend was now hanging on for his life. Help! Help me up, I'm slipping! He screamed. Hang on, I'm coming! I moved forward but I could feel the soft wood buckling beneath my feet. Then a crack. I froze, too terrified to move. I don't think I can hang on much longer, Pete cried. I took a cautious step forward and heard another crack, but this time the wood split, and I could feel it give about an inch or two. The board hadn't broken completely, but it was only a matter of time before I would be in the same predicament as Pete. I can't move, I said. We both stared at each other, thinking the same thing. We're gonna die. Then suddenly the cool night air got a little colder. The creaks and moans from the bridge stopped and the sound of the river below seemed to hush to silence as something began to rise from behind Pete. My jaw dropped and my eyes widened, but I couldn't speak. It was her. She floated ghostly above the tracks, her hair long and tangled, her face sunken and sad. Her eyes glowed a pale yellow and she reached down and began to lift Pete from the broken tracks. He shook with fear but didn't make a sound as he rose higher. She gripped him tight by his shoulders and held him outward as if presenting him to me. They both floated there in the night sky for what seemed to be an eternity until finally she tilted her head, smiled the most wicked grin I had ever seen. Her mouth opened wide and seemed to stretch and drip into a long black void. Then she let out a wail that sounded like it was rising from the pits of hell. The bridge trembled from the sound, and then she spoke. My pain is your pain. My loss is your loss. I am the redeemer of death, and shall not stop collecting until every flower is cut at its stem. And every cup overflows with the blood of my agony. She inhaled from that dark abyss of a mouth and sucked the life from my friend. His body fell limp in her hands as she let out another excruciating wail. And seemingly without effort, she tore his body in half. She discarded his mutilated form over the side of the bridge. It fell into the dark night towards the water. I remember waiting to hear a splash, but it never came. Then she was gone. Somehow I made it to the other side of the bridge. I met Joel there and told him what had happened, but he just looked at me like I was crazy. Everyone looked at me like I was crazy. They said I was suffering from some mental trauma from watching my friend fall to his death. They said there was no witch on the bridge, but I knew. I knew what I saw. It was real. I won't bore you with the sad details over the years, but things deteriorated for me. Alcohol, drugs, eventually homelessness. It wasn't easy being the guy that claimed his friend was ripped to pieces by an evil spirit that lived on a train bridge. I wandered aimlessly for a long time, always haunted by one question. Why did she let me live? I'm not sure that I'll ever get an answer, but sparing me did give me a purpose. So here I sit, some 40 years later, every night, 
like some kind of troll, warning anyone that might dare to do what I did all those years ago. Truth be told, there aren't as many adventurous teenage boys these days, too busy with video games, I suppose, but occasionally they do come by. Like you, they heard the legend of the train wreck and the woman on the bridge, and they heard the story of the two friends in the 1980s that ended in tragedy. I managed to scare some away, but most laugh at me and call me crazy. They push past me and make their way onto the bridge. I don't know if they make it across alive. I'm too scared to check. Too scared that she might change her mind and come looking for me. Some nights I know I hear that unmistakable wail at midnight. But what about you? I said when we first met you seemed like the kind of person that would listen, and clearly that's true. You're still here. The real question is... Do you believe me? Will you learn from my loss and save your own soul? Save your life? Or will you choose to walk across and disappear forever into the arms of the woman on the bridge? Fuck off, old man. Sounds like some bullshit to me. Why don't you go down another bottle of whiskey and move out of my way? Spider One, featuring Spider One as the narrator and Steve, Chrissy Fox as the witch and Joel, Riley Cummings as Pete. Engineering, production, and sound design by Chrissy Fox. Theme music by Tyler Connolly, Chrissy Fox, and Trevor Shand. Leaders Digest is created and curated by Spider One, Chrissy Fox, Trevor Shand, and Lauren Shand. Subscribe on your favorite podcast provider to never miss an episode. Bleeder's Digest is a presentation of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. It's the Bleeder's Digest. Joanne, Lauren, what do you... Everybody! You know you have a beautiful singing voice. Jump in <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm Trevor. I'm Lauren. I'm Spider. And I'm Chrissy. And what you just heard was an amazing issue number 33, The Woman on the Bridge, written by Spider-One. Yes. Well done, my friend. That was so, another awesome, another great hit. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was happy with this one. I wasn't sure at first because it was so much uh, narration, but then I got into the the whole character and, and I'm listening back, I'm, I, I, I feel like I could be wrong that this is one of my better stories. I don't know, maybe not, but I, I really like this one. It's exceptional. And I also love that you force the listener onto the bridge at the end. Yes, that's right. right. Like we are on the bridge and we can't escape what's about to happen. And then Chrissy hits us with the creature voice. <laughs> I know. It's, that one, I felt like I could hear everyone laughing at me when I was doing all this screaming. This time I could, like in the other room, I could hear like the whole family laughing at me. <laughs> I was going insane by myself in the room. Yeah, we're like we're literally because the, the way our house is laid out, our kitchen, and then there's the room where we do all our narration and stuff. And like you'd be out here just like making a cup of coffee. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> and, it's just like oh. and I just, I, I think about our poor neighbors. You right, know, yeah. Like, what the hell? 
police are going to show up. It's at like ten a.m. and <laughs> Chrissy, do you? I mean, you're so good at doing like extreme voices, right? Especially when it comes to creatures and victims and things like that. When you do creatures, what like what goes through your head when you create different creatures? Because it's different every single time. Are you are you thinking of? A backstory for the character itself, or do you just let yourself go and whatever comes out comes out? What's your process? I mean, yeah, I try to think of a backstory and I also try to think about, yeah, like you said, it kind of I want them to feel a little different because they're their own thing, right? So I'm like, well, I already did something like that. So yeah, the hardest is when I try to really change my register and scream in like a register I don't normally use, and then it's just like my throat's bleeding the whole day, but yeah, I usually do. I try to like channel their rage and, you know, I try to give them something. It's worth it. And it's not it's not an easy thing to do either. So applause. <laughs> it's, it's funny that our, our two year old is like completely unfazed by it now. She's just like she likes it playing. Thinks like, it's funny. Yeah, she laughs at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just can't wait to see what the, the creature noises she comes up with when she's oh, wow. uh, oh. <laughs> Hold on. I'll get her for you. <laughs> so, Spider, you were saying, you were telling us um, last week that this story is, has got some basis in truth, right? Yeah. So, so there, where I grew up in uh, the town of Haverhill, Massachusetts, there was a, there were two bridges. There was a, a bridge for cars to drive over. And then there was this old black metal train bridge that uh, ran over the, the Merrimack River. And, uh, we would me and my dumb friends would would walk across the bridge in the middle of the night and in the part in the story where the, the realization hits the kid that if a train comes there's nowhere to go i remember having that exact thought you know you don't you're not thinking ahead and i was walking across the bridge same thing you could see down below the wood slats you could see the river and i'm like if i fall i'm dying and then i realized if a train comes we're dead because there's nowhere to go other than jumping off the bridge. And uh, we had no idea what the train schedule was because we're stupid kids. So I did, that has always stuck with me after all these years in doing that. And uh, the other part of the story uh, where it discusses the, the train wreck in 1888, where a train goes off the side and that actually uh, happened as well. And I didn't, I didn't know that until I started writing the story. And I just out of curiosity looked up some, history of that bridge and that story came up oh no way yeah wow. this train that derailed and went into the river and on the way down took out this water tower and the water tower crashed on top of the train and killed 10 people inside the commuter train so of course i used that as part of the story so the whole thing started to get really creepy in my head well now thinking back to my childhood and <laughs> the, some you know the, the times we crossed that bridge and you know, maybe there was a witch that uh, haunted the bridge, but uh, yeah. So anyone who lives in Haverhill, Massachusetts, now you know something really creepy about that bridge. Wow, that's yeah. crazy! You guys hadn't heard of that story being passed around yeah, back then, I, right? That's insane. Yeah, I'd never heard of that, and like I said, I just sort of just you know, as you do when you write a story, you're writing about a location or whatever, mm -hmm. and you know, you, you just do a little research, and just uh, I was yeah, I was kind of shocked that I'd never never heard that story before. You had mentioned um, about a patron uh, link there, too. Well, yeah. So I promised, right, when we started uh, pimping this Patreon situation, I made a promise that I would work in a, a, a name of one of our Patreon members as a character. And so I did. The one and only uh, Nathan. Was it Nathan? Yes. yes. Nathan Murphy 
was uh, mentioned in the story as the kid who claimed to have fought off the witch on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> who was the kid who, sl- who claimed to sleep with Heather Locklear? Yeah, that was Nathan. Yeah. That was the same kid. Oh, wow. I wonder how true it is. He told many stories. <laughs> you know, he always, had that, he always had that friend in high school that would just yeah. like, oh, yeah. And you're always, yeah, maybe it's true. I don't know. But uh, so, yeah. So, but the funny thing is, is that, that the original character, that character's last name was already Murphy. And then, then I realized I wanted to work in a Patreon uh, member. And we already had him. We had a Nathan Murphy. So I'm like, perfect. Let's go. Nathan Murphy. He was our first Patreon member. The first person that joined. Well, and the craziest thing is before I read his story, I was like, oh, one of the new Patreons said they're really excited about the possibility of you incorporating a name into the show. And it's like, oh, it's his name. And I told him, he's like, that's the same last name as the guy I already wrote. So it it was meant to be. That's what you call kismet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you want to be featured in one of our future stories, you got to join, right? That's right. So, so far we have a cat witch, a graveyard, graveyard witches, and we have a bridge witch. So what kind of witch do we got from you, Lauren? An old witch. An old, old <laughs> yes. witch. And she's kind of like folk-like. Yeah, yeah. That's the best way like, I can. Uh, like Bob Dylan folk? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Gordon Lightfooty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Lawrence is coming up next week. Which month continues? It's crazy. Yeah, that'll, that'll that'll wrap it up, right? Yeah. Yep. I gotta say, this has been uh which month has been fun. I kinda like the themed I month think, ideas. Yeah. It's kinda cool. Yeah, it is. Maybe we bring it back at the, maybe the end of the series, we do a month of something else. Maybe maybe it's the Patreons could suggest something and maybe we'll listen. Yeah, yeah let us know. That's perfect. So yeah, sign up, be a patron if you can. We'd appreciate it. You get the episodes ad free as well and shout outs as uh, I mean, we spent a lot of time shouting out old Nathan. Thank you very much, Nathan. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bleeders Digest. That's D-I-E-G-E-S-T and at BleedersDigest.com. And if you get a sec, we'd love if you hopped on Apple podcasts and wrote a review rated the show it helps us get found helps us live in that algorithm and helps keeps the stories coming right yeah yeah okay well from the bleeders digest team stay bloody keep digesting and what was it we're at you (laughs) 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 we're at you later yeah whatever we're gonna have to practice it we'll get it one day yeah one day I just stare at you guys and smile when you do that. I don't know. (laughs) 